This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening, you're with Sharad Kutten. Tonight we ask the question, what does it really mean to lower the political temperature of the country? This comes amidst various calls for exactly that, ranging from Malay rulers to the Prime Minister. So we'll be joined in the studio by Wong Chin Wat to examine the institutional structures and cultural and political norms that feed into political tensions in our country. Tell us what you think. Do you think polit- politicians are largely responsible for tensions in our country? And how would you like to see this address? You can call 7733 tweet us at BFM Radio, or send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our new mobile number 018-789-8899. This is Inside Story. It's 6.08, you're listening to Inside Story. I'm Sharad Kutin. We're talking about political tensions uh, that seem to happen, well, all the time, If depending on what media you read. Uh, there are political tensions stoked by politicians, they're stoked by NGOs, they're stoked by a whole number of political players in the country. But what do we do about them? Where do they reside? Are they as frightening or terrifying as they seem to be if you are kind of glued to your handphone and reading the news every day? Or are they, in fact, just, um, you know, uh, the expression of politics as it is in Malaysia? Democratic politics, that can be sometimes very noisy and messy. Now, to help us understand uh, what's happening in the country and also how we can start to nudge it in the direction that many of us want, which is peace and calm and and a productive political sphere, we have Dr. Wong Chin Wan. He's a political scientist at Sunway University, but more importantly, very recent incarnation as a founding member of Project for Stability and Accountability for Malaysia, Project Sama. Thank you so much, Inwat, for coming back and joining us. I think when you were last here, but a, sorry, last here, about a month ago when you yeah. were on, we were talking about something that was also raising tensions, wasn't it? Yes, I think that was on uh, Nge Koham's arson. Yes, that's yeah. right. And the, um, the question of what happened in, those, in that conversation, Chinua, I remember, uh, it did result in some uh, violence. There was some violence, something that we don't actually see very often in Malaysia. So we have political tensions in this country. Now, the, the trigger for today's uh, t- uh, conversation really comes from uh, the uh, federal court's decision around the Sharia enactment uh, laws of Kelantan. So we had the Prime Minister, uh, the Sri Anwar Ibrahim, welcoming the Selangor rulers Sultan Sharifuddin Idris Shah's decree for all quarters to respect the federal court's decision and the federal constitution. And he said that the, that the time is right to reduce rising political tensions. Do you believe such an intervention is necessary when it comes to a situation of a political tensions? Thank you, Sharats. Thanks for having me. Certainly, such interventions are necessary, but they are still firefighting. Mm-hmm. So what we should do instead is to avoid accumulations of highly inflammable materials. Okay, that's a nice metaphor. But okay, when, when a house is on fire, yeah. uh, we do need those firefighters, don't yes, we? Yes, of course. Right. I do want to ask you, though, how effective is it? When you have somebody like the ruler of Slango, uh, His Majesty, coming out with his statement, um, he even made an oblique reference to something that uh, came up from a past leader, Takiyudin Hassan, about this being the day that the court made the decision of being a Black Friday. Uh, Anwar coming out and saying, uh, don't politicize. So he's always appealing to people not to politicize uh, things that needn't be politicized. Do you think those kinds of exhortations uh, are effective? They are quite effective at this stage. At least they inconveniences uh, the opposition attempt to politicize the issue, because they want to tie it as that the Supreme Court, sorry, the Federal Court decision is an attempt to dismantle uh, the dominance of Malay Muslim and a possible tie back to the royalty. But now you have an element of the three are standing for the federal court decision. That makes it inconvenient to play that matter. 
And so if you're being a political scientist, uh, apart from being a kind of political activist, when, when you look at the world, do you, how would you measure the efficaciousness or the effectiveness of such a call? Uh, is there evidence that we can go to to see that political tensions are, in fact, reducing? I don't think that, uh, as I mentioned just now, when such calls are firefighting, necessary, but they are not effective in the long run. In the long run, what you need to do is to remove the incentives for people to play out all this issue and then come back to a fundamental questions. Are we going to abolish elections? If not, parties would have to compete. They, for them to compete, they have to emphasize the product differentiation between them and their rivals. So what are the issues? Normally, you fall into three categories. Identity. This is where the issues of the Nick Irene case fall into. Second would be patronage. If they don't play on identity politics, sometimes they compete by dishing out goodies. Thirdly, would be policy differences. The most uh, important thing that what we want, but it would not be there unless we take efforts to nurture such incentive. Okay, this is something that I actually want to get to later because um, you're absolutely right. You know, we don't want to end democracy. You know, in some sense, yeah. we can argue that democracy is the cause of many of our problems. Yeah. Uh, it's probably also a way of solving some of our problems. But let me just ask you for some basic distinctions, Chinua, mm. at first, right? Like, would you make a distinction between political tensions that we see played out in our media versus tensions in society? I mean, have you seen, mm. you know, a kind of evidence of social tensions, very different or distinct from those that are about political rivalry of the sort that you talked about, party political competition? No, we do not see signs of unrest in our society. But when you think about the entire issue, as much as politicians are great playwrights, directors and actors to create that sense of existential threat and emergency for uh, members of ethnic constituency to act. The, f the political tension that we see is not purely fictional. It's a symptom of the underlying uh, social tension. It just does not come to surface every now and then. Uh, but the death threats on uh, Nick Irene, as well as the arsons on uh, home. These are alarming signs. Right. So, so that's interesting because I think uh, maybe many of us are uh, too quickly, uh, you know, blame politicians for what we see happening, right, in political tensions. It's easy to blame politicians. In fact, uh, baked into my question earlier to our listeners, that do you think politicians are largely responsible for the tensions in our society? And what you're saying is slightly different, right? What you're saying that is, in fact, they, those, um, the speeches and demands and the, the kind of politics that's played by politicians might actually arise from the ground. It's not necessarily something that's coming from top down. I think there's a limit how far they can play. Certainly they are the one who instigated it because otherwise people wouldn't feel it. But there would not be smoke without at least some sparks of fire. So what we need to deal with is this, is this deep, in, deep sense of insecurity. Despite all the talks of Malaysia, truly Asia, that we cherish all our uh, diverse heritage, Often we feel threatened. And the reason I have would blame it largely on our political system more than our history. Because our system is so majoritarian. People fear that changes would be introduced and often irreversible if they do not safeguard every inch of what they have. And this applies on both sides. While the minorities and the liberals fear the Islamists, the Islamists fear that the country would be turned into a completely French-style secular state that, you know, they wouldn't want to live in. Right. So, okay, you mentioned, um, you know, some of the dynamics. I do want to ask about whether the 
the personalities of politicians matter, right? So, for instance, back in December, Anwar Ibrahim had said that uh, Vice uh, President of PAS, Ahmad Samsuri Mokhtar, who's called the uh, Mantri Basa of uh, Trunganu, he said that if Ahmad Samsuri Mokhtar entered parliament, and he has, of course, because he won that by-election, it would help in cooling down the, nat- uh, the nation's political tensions. Uh, he said that, uh, you know, and I guess he was working off the general impression that Samsuri is a moderate politician compared to other politicians, both in his party and, in fact, in other parties. Is there such a thing as a moderate politician, Shinwat? I wouldn't deny the importance of personality, but it's important to underline that incentives matter more than personality. For most of the moderate politicians we see today, uh, many were radicals at one point, including Anwar Ibrahim himself. On the other hand, for many radicals or extremists we see today, they were tied that they played the roles of moderates, including Hadi Awang, who at one point went all out to defend DAP when, it's nece- when it was necessary for him to do so. And to capture this, uh, the, the flexibilities of politicians taking up completely opposite position, you have Tun Dr. Mahathir. He captured both the moderate and the extreme ends of mainstream Malay politicians at different times. He talked about uh, Bangsa Malaysia immediately after the near miss in 1990s, right? And again, when PH came into power in 2018. But when he wanted to turn around, he could be the most nastiest uh, politicians as what Madius, uh, MP Madius from Sabah call him a colonialist and Malayan imperialist. Right, Madhya Stangau from UBCO, right? Uh, one yeah. of the partner members of uh, Pakata. Actually, I want to get into sort of the issue of coalition, but I know you're a man focused on structure. That's your, that's your thing, right? That's your shtick. And, uh, but I do think a lot of us are, uh, you know, are focused on personalities. Many yeah. ordinary Malaysians think about personalities and believe that you could be a moderate person, that you know, your upbringing, whatever makes you such. Uh, but we'll come back to that. Mm. Uh, we're listening to, uh, or we have rather, in the studio, Wong Chin Wat, founding member of Projects for Stability and Accountability for Malaysia, Project Summer. We're asking him about Political tensions, how, how they get dialed up, how they get dialed out. What do you think? Do you think politicians are largely responsible for our tensions in our country? What would you like and how would you like this uh, question or problem to be addressed? Also, you can ask Chinua any question you like. You can call 7733-2900. You can send us a voice note or a WhatsApp at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Breakfast for Masters, BFM 89.9. It's 6.20. You're listening to Inside Story. I'm Sharad Kutin. We're talking about political tensions in the country. They arise, they, they get dampened. Who's responsible? How can we moderate our politics and maybe moderate the volatility in uh, Malaysian politics generally? To help us in that conversation, we have in the studio Wong Chin Huat, who's the founding member of Project for Stability and Accountability for Malaysia, Project Summer. It's a new initiative. And he's also a professor of political science at Sunway University. We want you to be Part of this conversation, uh, you can ask Chinwat a question you, you like, uh, or you can answer this question. Do you think politicians are largely responsible for tensions in our country? And how would you like to see this addressed? You can call 7733-2900. You can send us a voice note or a WhatsApp at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. So before the break, uh, Chinwat, you were saying that you didn't think it was a question of personality, you know. Um, but don't you think for a lot of people it is? I mean, they are banking on certain people. They might even forget that X, you know, X or Y, Z politician used to be a radical, now is a moderate. As far as they're concerned, as long as they're moderate now, there's something they're going to vote for. Why do you dismiss the question of personality? Not that I dismiss it, but I believe that most politicians have only preferences, no conviction. So what it means is that they would pursue something to their liking, but not at all costs. So you give them a different incentive, they play a different game. Instead of harping on whether you get the right person, what we should look at is to give them the right incentive. You have to think about politicians as like, in an idiomatic sense, they can be the best friends for men and women, 
provided you give them the right house training. Right. Okay. So you turn them into pets. Uh, I think many of us don't think of our politicians as pets. Um, but uh, okay, I'll go with that metaphor. Uh, so when you go to the pet shop, you know who should you buy, right? I mean, you were talking about this earlier, right? Political competition. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I wonder about that, you know, how do we actually determine, you know, what is the source of tension volatility? Is it simply about a political competition? Because you can play, you know, a competition, in, in, if you take a sports metaphor, right? It's competitive. Yeah. But there are also rules. And mm. some of it's unstated rules. They're, they're mm. about ethics, about being a gentleman, a sportsman-like behavior, right? Yes. That's about culture. Yes. Right? And, and so where do you place the question of culture uh, are the, in, in the backdrop of this idea of political competition between uh, political parties and uh, individuals? I, I like this comparison to sport because I think that's what our politics should aspire to become. But there's a one fundamental difference uh, between sports and politics or as we have it here. In sports, you want to have repeated matches so you can win every time. But in politics, often what you see is people want to terminate or eliminate competition if possible. So therefore, they try their best to undermine the other party. And the way they package whole thing is called for unity. But we all know how bad it would be if imagine that Maidin, Giant, Aeon, and so on, everyone get united, then you would not have any seals at all, right? Because we would stand to lose. But in politics, many people actually like that. Look at the Indonesian presidential election now. There are people who cheer for uh, Jokowi for bringing his former opponent, Prabowo, and his son together to continue his legacy. That's something very wrong. In, and that's the part of culture we in have to talk about. In the spirit of Indonesian democracy, it was, in fact, against the grain, wasn't it? Yes. But this is the part where we need to overcome that. For democracy to work, we cannot have, we cannot have uh, unity. What we need is healthy and productive division. It's like sports. You have the team. You have the player divided into teams. So then you can have a competition. If they're all united in the sense like, you know, everyone is on the one side, you won't have any competition. So that's the part that we have to go down. And if you do not actively create the incentive for parties to compete over policy differences, they will fall back to the two natural alternatives, identity or patronage. Okay, so but before that, there was a word that you used there that was quite interesting. You said healthy, right? Yeah. Who defines healthy? And is there a consensus in Malaysia about what is healthy competition? No, but you can think of it objectively. Healthy competitions would mean that uh, at the end, the, comp- the outcome of competition is better than not having one. So, for example, if they compete on policy differences and whatever you talk about, ultimately you have one set of solution over the others. But if, if the competition is based on culture war, it's all about counting numbers. It's all about how do we evoke uh, people emotions so that they would see themselves as members of this side or that side. Then we end up into all these endless debates of whose God is more powerful, who ancestor come here first, who language is more useful, and so on. To no end. It doesn't help anyone. Okay, it doesn't help anyone. But it's, if you're a Malaysian politician, you're looking around the world, you look at the Donald Trump, you look at... Um uh, you know, Viktor Orban in Hungary, if you look at, uh, you know, Modi in India, I mean, there are many people, many politicians and political parties that have risen to power on the back of the first two options, right? At least the first one, identity. Yes. yes. It's easy. Why would a Malaysian politician sort of, you know, sort of hold off, hold their nose at, you know, identity politics and say, no, no, I'm going to do something more serious and, you know, I'll... And then become the kind of politician I think you want. Okay, to put it positively, we should look at it this way. We were ahead of the game. We have been in all this identity politics before the Americans and the European catch up, right? Now that we are, they are in our game, we should move on to, to attempt or as, uh, attempt for something what we never had before. And ultimately, why? Because this is the only way we're going to get it uh, good for everyone. Think about the situation. If we continue with all this culture war, who would win? Every government that comes into power would not be stable. 
Okay, but you know, clearly some people think they can win because that seems to be the broadly the the tenor of the of, the, of Malaysian politics. How? I mean, I know you're kind of both uh, analyst, but you're also an advocate. I mean, yeah. to what extent do you think you need to remain hopeful that we can change uh, against maybe some sort of, you know, secret intellectual pessimism, I think, that you might uh, hold? No, I don't think that yeah, I need to be hopeful. I need to be pragmatic because all the alternatives are worse. And including one thing that many people look back and say, you know, if democratization seems to be so destabilizing, so um, disheartening, might as well we go back to the old days where you have one dominant coalition, so basically not perfect, but it managed to get things running. So yeah. I think we need to overcome that, that fetish, that nostalgic feeling and stare right into the reality. For those who think that we were better in the past. I'll put it this way. During that long periods of BN dominance, we never really have real harmony because the goal of inter-ethnic relation management then was to make sure any ethnic tensions do not go out of control and also not go out of fashion. Do not go out of control is obvious because you do not want to get the house burned down. Why is it? Why was it that it uh, they did not want it to go out of fashion? Because once you go out of fashion, voters would have new expectations on politicians. Right. Wonderful uh, note to stop on because we're going to come back and we're going to be talking with Chinwat about Barisan National and that you know sixty years of dominance over the country and what it how it shaped political culture then. I've been speaking to Wong Chin Huat. He's a founding member of Project for Stability and Accountability for Malaysia, Project Sama. And the question we're talking about is political tensions in this country. How do you think, uh, you know, the country is going? What direction do you think it's going? And do you think politicians are largely responsible for political tensions in our country? You can join that conversation. You can, by calling us on double seven double three two nine hundred. you can send us a voice note or WhatsApp at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Budding Fresh Ministers, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's coming up to 6.39. Uh, you're listening to Inside Story. I'm Sharad Kutin. We're speaking to Wong Chin Wat, a founding member of Project for Stability and Accountability for Malaysia, Project Summer. He's also a professor of political science at Sunway University. We're talking about political tensions in the country. Who's responsible? How to dampen them, dampen it down? How to create a system where we have much less political volatility? We want to post your views and also thoughts. Uh, you can uh, call us, double seven. 733-2900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, before we get to the question, because there was a question that was that came in, Chinwat, um, somebody I think was interested to know if they wanted to kind of help out with Project Summer, is there, is there some public engagement work that you guys are doing? Yes, we're going to... Uh plan out more activities so that uh, people can actually take part, but very much this is about changing the narrative and so on. So when we have, uh, when we formally launch it, uh, hopefully by May, that's the time that perhaps the uh, members of the public can come in and help. Thank you so much for your support. You're right. Okay. So now we have a question, and this comes from Wong Chi Chen, who says, does Dr. Wong think that it may be inevitable for Malaysia to swing to the far right on the political spectrum before she swings to the left or to the centre? Well, if we swings to the far right, inevitably it will swing back to the centre. But I don't think... The swing to the far right is inevitable itself. The reason being that uh, <clears throat> things have not gone that far, that people feel threatened. But what we need to do is to recognise there's a, a danger built in in our system. The danger is first past the post system. Well, some of my academic colleagues may not agree with me because they think that uh, first past the post can incentivize parties to compete in the media. But if you look at uh, the, the peninsula uh, competition here, if you're going to have a two, you keep the first past the post, 
and pH and BN or amino were to tie each other together, then most Malay voters would opt for PN over PHBN. That would create situations where you might have a federal government dominated by PAS, with the first PAS prime minister and Sabah Sarawak parties may join on the conditions of extremely high degree of autonomy, which may lead to, in a worse scenario, uh, like a change, change of international boundary. Okay, the fracturing of the federation aside, I mean, that's a, that's a far off stra- um, yeah. scenario, but it's a scenario that I think may be worth talking about at some point. I do want to ask you, though, Chinwat, because some people say that, you know, uh, the territories of Sabah and Sarawak actually provide a moderating force, not just in the cultural terms, not just in terms of the gestures that are made uh, from, say, Sarawak, you know, over recent times, you know, about uh, accepting uh, a plurality of languages, of, you know, the pushback that they've seen on federal, but also the fact that now Srawa is asking for more seats in parliament. I believe that's something that has been signaled. Do any of this lead to thwarting any practical uh, sort of, uh, you know, surge to the left, sorry, to, to the right, to the far right? Well, if you're going to have Sabah and Srawa as a counter force to bring Malaysia back to the centre, you need Sabah Sarawak to see themselves as a competitor or a contestant in defining how Malaysia should be. So that means Sabahan and Sarawakians cannot uh, be indulged in isolationism or exceptionalism, thinking that as long as we keep our home state safe, harmonious, we don't care what happened here. Unfortunately, this is how many East Malaysian politicians and also members of the public think uh, as a result of decades of marginalizations. So they don't have a strong feeling for the entire Malaysia. They think that, you know, if Singapore can be a first world country after leaving Malaysia, why should we care? And uh, having a high degree of autonomy is what they want. So that's what they might pursue in the short run. To give them 35% uh, seats is not only just wrong in terms of democratic principle because overrepresentation, even within a federation, is only justified for the upper house, not for the lower house that elects the government. But it can be destabilizing because you may end up having a federal government that enjoy a majority in the parliament and therefore can push for whatever things they want given the majoritarian structure we have. Yet, this government does not have a majority of support among the voters. So that can create tensions that cause shockwaves uh, to the system. Right. I, I believe you've written about uh, the question of increased seats for Sabah and Sarawak and how this was going to exacerbate the already bad situation with malapportionment. Um, but nevertheless, I guess these are political decisions that are going to be made um, and and the contingency. I mean, present contingencies are going to determine that in some regard. I do want to come back to Bryson National because, Chinwat, you made uh, an interesting, uh, you know, kind of reference to them as being not the ideal, right? Because there is a bit of nostalgia for Bryson yeah. National. It did preside over a, a, a long period of relative stability. Uh, we saw less fighting among political parties and, and such, and we've had five years of volatility. Um, again, is there anything to recommend the Barisan national structure with a dominant party? UMNO was dominant within that structure. Is there anything to recommend it? No. The main reason is mainly not because the problem of dominance, but within UMNO, you do not have intra-party democracy. Within BN, you don't have that. So ultimately, what you have is that political elites would have to resort to infighting. And what you have seen is that Abnu has suffered three rounds of uh, Sikhism between Mahati and Tengu Razali, between Mahati and Anwar Ibrahim, and then between Najib and Mahati. Right? And all these uh, changes actually split the party, and it doesn't provide 
the stability people want. Okay, but is it okay? You know, so Trump would say, well, okay, better political parties split and politicians fight each other and there's factionalism with political yep. parties rather than on the ground. That In fact, those splits, to, I mean, it's, can be argued both ways, didn't impact society as badly as it could in other scenarios, right? I, I'm, I'm all for politicians fighting each other because that's the only case that the people actually have a chance to influence them. But that kind of split is unhealthy because what you see is abuse of state powers to uh, undermine, to imprison, even rise between their own parties. So what we need is actually to go for a more stable system. One of the symptoms of this flaw in our country with such dominance is the ageing the age, not aging, the age uh, leadership. Why can't we have younger politicians? Simple reason. You have to climb all the way up by building up your factions, by first align yourself to the right factions, right? That takes a long way. Okay, I, I, we're going to come back with more on the question of coalitions, the kind of coalitions you, you think are ideal, Chen Wat. Uh, we're going to be looking at Pakatan Harapan as, and its coalition structure. Uh, just a quick reminder that we're talking about political tensions in the country. Uh, what do you think uh, about them? Do you think that politicians are the ones largely responsible? Is it us? Do we have a role to play in political tensions in this country? How would you like those tensions addressed? Remember, you can call us, double seven double three two nine. Send us a voice note or a WhatsApp at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Break from monotony. BFM 89.9. It's uh, 6.50. I'm Sharad Kutin. This is Inside Story and our guest today, Dr. Wong Chinwat from Sunway University. is a political scientist, but also founding member of Project for Stability and Accountability for Malaysia Project Summer, a new initiative uh, that he said that, you know, will be launched uh, properly in May. Remember, we're talking about political tensions in the country, uh, who's responsible, how to dial it down, where they come from, is there any way to structure politics in Malaysia in new ways that will change the game, uh, turning it less volatile, but in a good way, not in the the lack of volatility of the Barisan national era. Uh, that's anyway, Chinwat's position. Remember, you can call us double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send us a voice note or a WhatsApp at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, or tweet us at BFM Radio. Chinwat, since we are talking about coalitions, let's talk. You said Barisan national is not perfect. It's incentivized the divisions. It kept it there, but it also kept things cool, right? Okay, if I can summarize it, uh, Pakatan Harapan claims to have no dominant partner. Uh, it claims to be a coalition of equal partners, PKR, DAP, Amana, and UPCO, right? Yeah. Do you think they've found a way to work together based on equality? I mean, beyond the rhetoric, yeah. is it really working? No. Clearly that because uh, PH cannot really present itself as an equal partnership because otherwise it will be seen as... Uh, it, it goes against the Malay nationalist idea of Malay dominance. So what you see in uh, the allocations of cabinet and uh, deputy cabinet minister and deputy minister positions dap was clear is clearly underrepresented that's the reason but i think what is important here is not about looking at whether they have a dominant party but it's about while ph has to focus on its survivor to play according to the norm that what the society at large expects of it how can it outgrow and phrase out the current system. That's where my concern is. I think there's a danger for people who are too much into survival. Uh, they perfect the skill to survive in the current system, so much so they do not want to talk about changes. Okay, okay, I understand that. You know, China, people will push back, some people will push back and say, Despite our problems, this is a federation that's largely held together. Okay, in 65, Singapore did leave, and that yeah. was a result of tensions, yeah. right? Uh, but largely uh, for a multi-ethnic society, mm. we've held much better than, a, say, a Sri Lanka and all those other multi-ethnic societies, the Lebanon, whatever, where, you know, the, the theories of consociational uh, coalition building, all these things came up, right? And Malaysia was, was an example in that, right? We've done very well. Well, if we want to look for worse examples, there are always plenty. 
Okay, that may be okay. There, it was, in fact, uh, quality, he'd asked the question, is the nature of Malaysian politics destructive rather than constructive? This is uh, from Rama. Yes, it's certainly so. But that's have to come back to the idea that our system is so majoritarian, so winner-takes-all, so it creates this sense of insecurity that look at every elections. Voters are always reminded it's a do-or-die elections. If you don't come out to vote our side will lose everything as it's irreversible. Now, we all know that it's not true, right? But every election is moving closer and closer to that because that things get sharpened. So what we need to do is to go the opposite direction, assuring people you would not see shifting changes. I know this is very unpopular. For example, not having shifting changes means that you probably can't... Uh, you can't revive English education unless you come up with a package, right? Mm. And for many people, it's like, this is what we need to do. If the countries want to move forward, we have to put English first. So many people are deep down, including those who call themselves liberals, are deep down authoritarian in, uh, in terms of means. They want an authoritarian mean to achieve the liberal ends, which oh, is dangerous. Okay, that's that's an interesting um, you know proposition. But I, I do want to come back. Let's just wrap up our conversation about Pakatan Harapan, their coalition structure. You say it's not uh, particularly equal in one in this regard, right? Yeah. So cabinet positions don't reflect a party strength or so the contributions of those parties to uh, the electoral successes mm. of the coalition. Uh, but is that the, is that the best we can do? Do you think that in fact a concession to the political realities? I think Always constrain options that we have. I think it's inevitable. What would be worse is that what would PH do next? Would it stick to the first-past-the-post system and try to team up with AMNO and therefore give PN an upper hand by merely asking Malay nationalist voters to choose between a multi-ethnic bloc or a mono-ethnic bloc? Which I think the answer is no-brainer. Or would PH and BN to really look, stare right into the reality and take the next four years to slowly move Malaysia forward? What do I mean by moving Malaysia forward? It's about looking back and say what kind of incentive that we are giving to the politician for them to get more power by doing the right thing. Right. That means that they have to spend more time talking about policy. That means that patronage has to be de-weaponized, if you like. Okay, but I want to ask you this. One of the things that you have over the years uh, promoted is you know, equal allocation, regardless of whether you're in the government benches or you're on the opposition benches. Would that have stopped people from the recent six defections from Bersatu to the current government? I mean, would that have stopped it? It would deprive them the excuse. So if they want to jump, they would have to say, well, because uh, the government gave me uh, 30 million contract for some whatever government supply project, rather than say, uh, this is because to help my constituency. So, but what you want, what we need to see is that when, when the government marginalized the opposition, the opposition would not say this is just marginalization of opposition. They would say, this is marginalisation of Malay Muslim because the opposition happened to be Malay Muslim. What do you think stops this government, uh, considering it has a reformist, a reform agenda, uh, from actually doing the kind of things that you, you are suggesting? Are, are they just not sure that, in fact, this will work? Uh, that's possibly one reason. But the other reason is that we do not have enough honest and debate on pragmatically what we need to move forward. Like the changes we advocate in Project Sama... It's not about bringing changes that would cause PH to lose power, but rather to say, how do you stay competitive in the long run? Right? But that requires a little bit of enlightened self-interest. And enlightened self-interest, unfortunately, is not, 
it's, it's not a common currency in Malaysian politics. Yeah, well, it's not even a common concept, but we're going to get back to that uh, after the news. I'm speaking to Wong Chin Huat, founding member of Project Summer for Stability and, uh, sorry, Project for Stability and Accountability for Malaysia Project Summer. He's also a professor of political science at Sunway University. Remember, you can keep uh, with us in this conversation. Uh, do you think politicians are largely responsible for tensions in our country? What would you like to see done to address them? You can call us double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send us a voice note or a WhatsApp at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine or tweet us at BFM Radio. Breathe freely, Malaysia. <sighs> BFM eighty nine point nine, the business station. It's uh, seven minutes past seven. Uh, this is Inside Story. I'm Sharad Kutin. We're talking about political tensions in the country. Uh, very interesting because we see, at least, bubbling up uh, every so often, uh, tensions, uh, sometimes between political parties, sometimes between individuals in those parties, sometimes from the same government, not necessarily across the, uh, you know, the, uh, the political aisle or across the parliamentary aisle. So to help us in, that co- in this conversation, we have... Dr. Wong Chin Wat. He's a founding member of Project for Stability and Accountability for Malaysia, Project Summer. Um, as I said, he's also a political scientist from Sunway University. We want always to have you in this conversation. Do you think politicians are largely responsible for tensions in our country? How would you like to see this problem addressed? You can call, you can send us a voice note, or you can tweet us at BFM Radio. So back to you, Chin Wat. We very involved conversation about how to change things. I wish people would listen to you, to be honest. <laughs> but it, I hope so. Yeah. But politicians don't always listen to you, and uh, and maybe for for good reason, right? I mean, in some sense, they are working out some other uh, out some other issues in their minds. But I do want to ask you about. Um, where okay, let, let's put it this way: What about the low-hanging fruit for change in this country? Structural change that will incentivize uh, not just good behavior, but more cooperative relations between political parties. Whether they're in a coalition in government, because we've seen that even being in a coalition in government doesn't produce that. But across the aisle, is it possible to imagine a cooperation across the aisle, and what would we? What could we put in place to do that? Yes, it's possible that I would suggest minimum we can do two things. One is what you have mentioned about uh, um, equal allocations to all MPs, so that patronage in that sense or service uh, constituency service or constituency aid would be de-weaponized. That's one thing. We need a law uh, to introduce that at both the federal and the state levels. Second thing uh, is to for the government to officially recognize the opposition shadow cabinet. If Anwar is so pleased with Dr. Samsuri, and now he has been made uh, one of the shadow cabinet member, why is why why doesn't the government recognize the shadow cabinet? Now, why this is important? Because if the opposition senior members have to take oath before the Yang Dipatuan Agung as His Majesty lawyer opposition, and they get paid, uh, extra allowance of say about five thousand. That's based. Uh, that's emulating the Australian example, and uh, to give to be given the resources to employ a researcher uh, in line with their portfolio, with commensurate access to government informations. The opposition would then have to put up this positioning that they are government in waiting, and you cannot every day talk about toppling this government. I know that I know you say that, and it sounds intriguing, right? Because it sounds sort of so neat and clear. And why wouldn't the government do this, right? The government of the day do this. I do wonder, though. I, I think there's a lot of skepticism on the part of Malaysians, and they loathe. I mean, I think when you mentioned the fact that you give them more money and all that, there's a no, no, no. I mean, we already give them too much money. And so, what do you think? Not from coming from the political party stakeholders, but from yeah. the public, what would make them think that this is not going to work? Why wouldn't uh, uh, swearing an oath or, you know, allegiance to whatever, uh, why do you think in the minds of people, they would think that this is actually not going to work? Well, people do not think this is going to work because we're so much embedded in this culture that uh, winners have to take all and you should not let your opponents to come back. But if that's had worked, we wouldn't be in the problem that we are in today. So I'm arguing the opposite, because you cannot expect a different outcome by doing the same thing. I'm saying that turn the game the other way around. 
give the oppositions fair treatment and then raise the public expectation on them. Now, you see what's the good thing about paying them 5000 We are talking about 33, 34, 34 shadow ministers because the number has to be the same with the government minister, right? And how much are you giving? You're not talking about millions of dollars because we're not talking about pension. We're just talking about one-off every month, 5000 But what it would change is that people would start looking into all these shadow ministers and ask, are you deserving the money we have paid you? Right? That actually helped people to make more realistic com- com- comparison. And that actually protects the government. Why? Because you cannot ensure all your 34 ministers, none of them would say something stupid, do something stupid. But if you have a comparison that on the, on the opposition front bench, you have people worse than your minister, people would become more realistic. Now, what, how this would change on the opposition side is that the smarter members of the opposition can see better future than every day trying to topple the government. Right. Okay. I, I get that. Okay. So, um, so I, uh, this is, uh, the, it seems always a bit of a gap between political theorizing um, that you do um, and the practical matter of, of politics. I wanted to bring up this, this idea that I think was floating around for a long time, that one of the things that might come out of a coalition between, say, DAP and AMNO, mm-hmm. right? We saw that in PERA and in some regards, some cooperation that mm-hmm. was happening, that it would actually dampen uh, the incentive to engage in the kind of identity politics that, that in large ways, mark their history, right, between yeah. these two political yeah. parties. But today that we see some of the political tension that we've had actually has come from precisely AMNO and the DAP in the unity government. So, so where was this incentive to, uh, to work differently, work more cooperatively gone? Well, it's not gone. It's just that if you compare the tension between DAP and AMNO, it's much less than before when one was in government, the other one was in the opposition. What really challenged this now is AMNO inability to make a comeback. Now, AMNO, by, if, if AMNO were to stick to PH as permanent partner for G16, it would not be able to ask for more seats than it, is, it has now. And that would make it look like an MCA. If minority ethnic Chinese voters cannot accept MCA because that's seen as representatives of Chinese imposed by AMNO, how could Malay nationalist voters accept AMNO as their champion? It's impossible. So the way out, this brings back to the questions of electoral system. What we need is actually uh, electoral system like what you have in Thailand, where voters actually have two ballots, one for the constituency MPs like what we have here, the other is directly to vote for the parties. And then the parties can then, uh, they they have a separate constituency, uh, normally either nationals or by state, then you list out a number of uh, candidates and then you get the seats based on the proportions of votes. Now, how would this help AMNO? Because AMNO then can cooperate with PH at the constituency level, but then compete directly at the party list level. That gives AMNO a chance that say, I can make it better than now, rather than they are now uh, constrained to what the seats they have. It makes AMNO look like bonsai, and that is not appealing to, to Malay voters. And that's why AMNO have to find every opportunity to hit not everyone in AMNO, but some uh, MP. Uh, Amno politicians have to look for every opportunity to hit that DAP to show that, say, we are not uh, little brother to DAP, because that's what PN has been attacking Amno for. Right. So uh, if I get correctly, so within the current system, an electoral pact constrains political parties in terms of the numbers of represent- representatives they can have, or at least the seats that, that they, they can, can contest, contest right? Yeah. Uh, and you're saying that by having this uh, extra party-less system, you would be able to actually expand the number of, because you're now competing with also your, um, your, with partners. your partners, right? So, okay, very interesting. Uh, again, you know, the the discussions, Chinwa, because yeah. this has been going on for like 20 years, discussions and changing the electoral system in Malaysia seem to go nowhere. But uh, 
I appreciate it because I think we're all learning when we think about this, right? It's a kind of a, a thought experiment. Uh, we want you to join this thought, thought experiment as well. Tell us, do you think politicians are largely responsible for tension in this country? Also, you can ask Chinwat any question you like regard to um, this country and where it's going. Remember, you can call us double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send us a voice note or WhatsApp at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Burning for more. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 718. You're listening to Inside Story. I'm sure I'd cut to my guest, Wong Chin Wat. He is a founding member of Project for Stability and Accountability for Malaysia. Project Sama is also a professor of political science at Sunway University. We talk about political tensions in the country. We have, uh, Chin Wat, several messages that come in. Uh, this is uh, from several of us. So I'll start with Cameroon. Cameroon says, A shadow cabinet with access to government information and data will give better checks and balances for both sides. Uh, Amir writes, uh, why were those six defectors not charged under the Anti-Hopping Act? Um, they remind me of one P. Ramli movie. Um, uh, and Adi wrote, all conversations on change is fun and great until it requires the person in the mirror to change first. So, okay, the, the, all the comments are coming around. I think a bunch of uh, ideas around whether systems and changing systems work, right? So Amir's anti-hopping law question why didn't it work? Well, first of all, the anti-hopping law would only require uh, the MP to have their seats vacated if they officially leave the party. What people expect is that they would leave their, they would lose their seats if they just cross the floor or defy their party's uh, instruction to support the other one and. AMNO and DAP and PKR, sorry, and AMANA has closed the gap by amending their party constitutions. Basatu is going the same direction. So in some sense, it would help. But I want to point out that anti-hopping law is dealing with the symptom, which is party hopping. The real root cause is weak parties. To strengthen the parties, you need parties to develop ideology or policy programs that make them distinct from others. You need to strengthen their base so that become less uh, dependent on individuals, especially local leaders. We are not doing any of this. But whose responsibility is it? I mean, aren't political parties just the expression of, you know, um, people coming together and associating themselves uh, freely? Uh, I mean... Who can say to them, oh, you should have an ideological base rather than say, I'm just going to be a popular party based on the personality of a leader who's charismatic? Why not? It's possible. But if they were to be so, that's fine. But what we are looking at is also the options of how other parties can survive. Let's look at example that's ideological or program-based party, PSM. PSM is very clear-cut, but PSM would not survive in the system you have Dr. Jayakumar, two terms incumbent, lost in a three-corner fight, and lost even his deposit. Why? Because under current system, a small party like that would have no chance when you have a standoff between the larger uh, coalitions. So the only way to get through this is going back to what I talk about, the electoral system where you have known in Thailand, but also in Japan and Taiwan and so on, where you have another components that based on party lists. And why this help? Because small parties can send their MPs to parliament through this. Right. So people who want a kind of socialist option can vote for... Well, whatever coalition party they want, but they can also maybe uh, the distribution of uh, social yes. supporters across the country would aggregate into something like a representative in parliament. I, I do want to ask you this, though, you know, um, because people like yourself have been advocating for change and you've been engaging with them. When you talk to politicians, Chin Wan, mm. what are they saying to you? Do they just nod their head and say, yes, it's a great idea? No, they normally would like to think that people like me do not know about politics, but there are times that they have to recognise that it's people outside of politics that find a solution. For example, the MOU that Ismail Sabri signed with PH was first advocated by me on uh, June, and sorry, me, and also separately, uh, Berset, Abim and GBM in June 2020. And that materialized by September 2021. It's just 15 months, right? Uh, 
it takes time for people to see this. And my hope, uh, rather, that my confidence in that, in all this reform, is not based on the idea politicians are altruistic or selfless or putting the national interest first. No, but we are in a very interesting situation that the old system no longer work. It no longer work for PH. No longer work for Amno. Uh, and so there are incentive for them to move out of their comfort zone. The only difference is that that conversation has not been broadened enough because most Malaysians don't look at comparative politics. Well, I mean, yes. Well, most people, nobody has time to, you know, to um, do the work that academics uh, do, right? And, and comparative politics does actually kind of reveal maybe uh, Malaysia's not so bad. It could be better and so on and so forth, right? But uh, what the options are before us. But, you know, and when we come to, okay, we're coming to the end of this conversation. I want to take it back to the question of political volatility, right? And the question is whether you can legislate stability. I mean, or is it a result of larger social and political consensus of the kind of politics we want? We know this happens in other countries. There is or historically developed consensus, right? And and, um, is that consensus missing? Uh, If it's missing, uh, what can be done to create one? If there is part of consensus, I think generally Malaysian politicians are not very extreme. Uh, You know, what more can we do with that consensus? Well, there are two parts of the problem we need to deal with. One is about the wrong incentive in the current system. So that's the political institutions part. And also that's uh, questions of whether we still have a middle ground block in society that would actually... Uh, impose pressures on the parties. Let me deal with the first part. Uh, Can we actually legislate stability by, for example, ensuring the government never lose power? No. If if we were to do so, then this is no longer a parliamentary democracy. It's a parliamentary dictatorship. So we have to keep that option that government can be overthrown. But can we actually avoid the problems of having rapid government change? Uh, by MPs signing their statutory declarations and uh, rush, rushing to the palace. Yes, we can. And one way to do it is actually to introduce a fixed-term parliament act, which has been advocated by Bessé and Project Sama. So by doing all these things, you close the door on SD. In most cases, they would not be able to change the government, even though that uh, we would argue for to make to prioritise confidence and non-confidence vote in the House. What we are actually doing here is ultimately strengthening the party. So it's possible. Now, but the second part of that uh, question is about, can we build a middle ground? And this is where I think we need conversations to friends who have asked what we can do uh, towards this. I think not so much about helping Project Sama, but we should work together to build a middle ground. A middle ground means that you think about a spectrum. Let's say most liberal is one, most conservative is 10. A society wouldn't be able to survive if you really spread out from one to 10 and people fight all the time, right? But if people in the middle ground would say, we want to keep that options between four and six, of 3.5 and 6.5. Now, that's become more manageable. Basically, you have to accept that people within this range as legitimate, and then all those uh, radicals outside of this framework, we just have to keep them out, right? What we need is a middle ground, not uh, solidly backing one single government, because that would make the government vulnerable to attacks from both sides, from the Franks. What we need is a middle ground that say we will compete against each other, but we would look for settlement after election so that you would not have the campaign period for the next election to start immediately after the election ends. Right. I understand the, the constant uh, politicization of everything, right? Because people are, in, as you say, in election mode all the time. Uh, we have about two minutes left. I mean, uh, Chinwat, don't you think there's something to recommend in Malaysia? I mean, you, you mentioned Thailand earlier, but Thailand is a country where democracy is upended every so often by the military. Right? So we don't have that. We don't have military players. We don't have other uh, voices coming in and trying to take over. Isn't, in some sense, 
aren't we okay as a society? I mean, that, is it a question about tweaking or is it, do we need a radical shift? No, I think the whole question here is that are we happy with the media income trap in the political sense, right? If we look at ourselves and say, well, other countries are much worse off, then there's nothing much we need to do. Let's just settle with this. And it, it, we might be happier because the definitions of happiness is to have low expectation. Right? But on the other hand, if you want to be better, we can always look at that country. The problem with Thailand is because they have a military-appointed Senate. That caused the problem. But the reason that why the, the relatively young party, uh, move-forward party, could emerge as the largest party was really because of the party list. So for people who talk about uh, third force and so on, if you really want to change, you want to move forward, you want the country to move forward, you want a younger leadership that smart politicians do not have to join old cliques and factions to climb up to the top. They, they can be national leader by the age of 40-something. We have to change the system. We have to change the system and it's not difficult. And we are, we are not advocating changes that would harm all the politicians. Rather, we are just advocating changes that would rationalize the interest for the politician. I'm not against politician. I'm always, just like I say politician can be best friends to men and women, I can be the best friends to politician too. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Wong Chinwat. He's a founding member of Project for Stability and Accountability for Malaysia, Project Summer, as well as a professor of political science at Sunway University. Keep your thoughts coming. You can call us double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send us a voice note or a WhatsApp at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine or tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. For more stories of the same kind. Download the BFM app.